And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome to the first Can't Wait podcast of the Jets offseason, a pivotal offseason, an offseason that could potentially reshape this franchise Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. This episode of Can't Wait presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD and give us a five-star review if you're listening on Apple and Spotify soon. I think you'll be able to do that too. Uh, Great show coming up here this morning. Early Friday morning, we are recording. Dane Brugler is going to join us, the athletics draft guru, the beast. He's working on it now, day and night, I'm sure. Uh, that'll be on your, your bookshelf soon. Uh, we'll have him talking Jets offseason targets for the draft. Um, we're going to make picks for this week, and we're also going to talk about the Jets offseason plan as a whole. And Connor, let's start there. I know you're dragging a little bit. You've been boosted. Congratulations about that. But um, yeah. but let's start with the offseason before Dane joins us. The Jets 4-13. and 13. They doubled their win total from 2020. Not a lot of right to write home about. But when you think of the last two offseasons, Joe Douglas, conservative, didn't stretch for anyone, didn't overpay anyone. Does it feel, after listening to him speak this week and and talking to people in the building, does it feel like this offseason is going to be different for Joe Douglas and this team, and this team is going to take some big swings? Very different, kind of like your uh, your your portrait mode setup right here. I don't know, I don't know what's going like on, but it's like a, a well, cle- we yeah. made a new move. So so to explain the background, uh, Ailey officially kicked me out of her room, uh, and so new setup. Hashtag here, crib desk. season officially in the crib. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I've been booted uh, out of that room. So new room, but for now i'm going to try to put some stuff up back here but for now i just won't how'd you make blur. it foggy so that, like it looks pretty yeah, it's, cool. it's in know. uh yeah it's in Streamyard. you can blur the background oh i'm gonna have to try yeah. that looks you look all all bougie man a little fancy so the question is 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 the jets off season blurred or is it in focus mm. transition, transition tim <laughs> uh no here's the thing is i think this is going to be a big one for the jets and i think that there's i i wouldn't say there's like hot seat pressure per se where it's like joe douglas knows that this team needs to be in the playoffs next year or he's gonna get fired like i I wouldn't say that but i would say that there is an understanding and there is a grasp from the front office that the two and 14 four and 16 progress of improving by two games is not enough and this year it's gonna take a while going that way yeah, and and this year the Jets need to take a substantial, substantial jump in the right direction. They need to take it, it's no longer about baby steps. It's not no longer about steps in the right direction. They need to improve by leaps and bounds. And and I think that the the seat I, again, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't term it as hot. I wouldn't term it as in trouble. I wouldn't I wouldn't phrase it in any one of those in, in any way of those in any way of those words. 
However, what I would say is that the seat underneath Joe Douglas's Tukas is is heating up a little bit. Like it's it there's it's a little bit warmer to the point where you're like, huh, did that get hotter than before? It's not like that nice, you know, it's 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 noticeable now. And it's because look, when when Christopher Johnson was the one that was calling the shots here, he was very much so he was very much so a patient man. He was somebody who was going to allow the time to build this. It was going to be a process. If it went two wins to four wins to six wins to eight wins to 10 wins, he was going to be all on board with that. Woody Johnson's not that, you know, pa patient is not in Woody Johnson. I mean, the, o the only thing that Christopher and Woody Johnson really share in, in the way that they kind of approach this is the last name because Woody kind of has that tendency of like, he's going to be really, really ticked off by the fact that the, the stadium is empty. You know, he's going to be really ticked off by the fact that the jets have, have been, and now the giants have kind of stolen this from him, but the jets have been in a, in a big way, a laughing stock and, and a punchline for the last few years, that's not going to sit well. And Woody Johnson's going to want to change it. And you've seen in the past, that's when he stepped in and kind of intervened and meddled in a way and made not so great front office decisions for the people he has in front office because he wants to change. Giants win the Super Bowl. Jets trade for Tim Tebow. Giants fire or Jets fire John Idzik. They immediately go in and they bring in an aging Darrell Rivas to a bad contract when he clearly was not going to be the same player. So I think you're going to see Joe Douglas not operate as if he has to justify his decision for Woody John, justify his positioning or justify his status as this team's general manager. But I think there is an understanding that the patience that Christopher Johnson brought is not necessarily there anymore. And the Jets need to have legitimate proof that they are headed in the right direction. Two wins to four wins is not that. I see a very, very aggressive offseason. I see the Jets trading for one or two players where you're going to say, holy cow, the Jets just traded for this guy. And we'll talk about that after we, after we bring Dane on here. I see them bringing in guys in the draft they are going to help them right away. I see them making plays in free agency, being a little bit more aggressive in free agency than they have been in the year before. And I've, I said this on Twitter during the, uh, during the game, that this final game against the Bills. I truly, genuinely, honestly believe, hand to God, not, or hand to God, not heart, hand to God, not, not bullshitting, not joking, not, not trying to yank anyone's change. I don't, you can look, I don't have green colored contacts. I'm not wearing green colored glasses. I genuinely believe that this is going to be a Jets team that is, at the minimum, fighting for a playoff spot next year. And I think there's a very good chance that the Jets are in the playoffs as a 9-8 nine, and eight football team next year. I mean, I think you're going to see a substantial jump in talent. I think you're going to see a substantial jump from, from Zach Wilson. We'll talk about this again after we after we have Dane on for a little bit. But I genuinely believe that this is a Jets team that's going to be in the playoffs next year. And, and I know that's probably going to freezing cold take expose me. But that's something that I, I, I do believe. That is something I, I think you're going to see an offense get substantially better. I think you're going to see coaches, first-year head coach, first-year offensive quarter, first-year defensive coordinator, get substantially better in their roles. I think you're going to see Joe Douglas go out this offseason and truly infuse this team with talent by any means necessary. That's signing, that's trading, that's drafting. And the result's going to be a Jets team next year that, as long as they stay healthy, is going to be one that, that's going to turn some people. Turn It's going to turn some heads. I really do genuinely believe that. You are uh, you're putting the pressure on the franchise. That, that's good to see. We we do have a lot more to get to um, Maybe it's talking about the talking. Jets specifically, but I see Dane is waiting as well. So let's take a short break, and we'll be back with Dane Brugler talking about this offseason in the Jets draft. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, one of our favorite people to have on the Can't Wait podcast is Dane Brugler, usually because, well, we talk a lot about the draft on this podcast, Dane, because the Jets always seem to be picking high. Uh, we were talking about it there coming, you know, before we got to you that maybe, just maybe this could be the last year for a while that they're picking this high, but, but we will see. Um, before we dive into this draft, first of all, thanks for joining us. No, good morning, guys. How, uh, how's the, the offseason going for you guys? Yeah, well, it's it's going first episode, and we said we got to go to Dane right away. Yeah. Um, uh, So what I was saying, before we get into this year's draft and everything, I just had one question looking back to last year. Obviously, um, you know, Zach Wilson goes number two to the Jets. They put everything in that basket, basically. This season on the field as a rookie, were you surprised by anything that you saw from Zach Wilson comparing to what you saw last year when doing all the prep work for draft time? Uh, you know, I, I think I thought we'd see more, a little more development uh, throughout the season. Um, you know, it's not not a surprise to see rookie quarterbacks struggle early on, but I thought we would see more development towards the end of the year. Now we had the injury, had some time out. Um, the supporting cast is a question mark. You know, missing uh, Becton for basically the entire year. I don't think any of the receivers really stepped up in a big way. Uh, you know, they're missing a dynamic tight end. So, I mean, there's a lot of things about that offense that did not help the quarterback, but a lot's on Zach Wilson. And I think the offensive coaches where, Hey, we need to show more of a jump. And so there's a lot of pressure going into his second year next year saying, okay, we cannot, the same Zach Wilson we saw as a rookie cannot be the same Zach Wilson we see in 2022. We have to see that improvement and to, to show that, Hey, this, this bet that we made, this investment we made, the number two overall pick, passing on Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Mac Jones, we did it for a reason. We did it for Zach Wilson, this guy that's going to lead us to uh, help compete for the division. And we have to start to see that guy next year. Dan, I know um, 
you know, you mentioned Makai's injury, and he's one of those guys that we're, we're going to talk about this a, a little bit later on in the show. We won't, we won't keep you around for all of that. But, the, you know, there's there's a disappointment factor surrounding him because I know that people had some durability concerns with him, not because he got banged up at all in Louisville, but just because when you got a man who is that big, I mean, sometimes it's hard to, to carry that much weight for a very long time and, and not have it result in injury. And you saw him go down in year one, you saw him go down in year two. There were performance concerns in training camp even before he hurt his knee against the Panthers. So I think the Jets are kind of going into this offseason with, with all their cards, you know, all options open, I should say, when it comes to the offensive line. And, and one of those is potentially, which Robert Sala flirted with earlier in this year, moving Makai to right tackle if there is a left tackle available that makes it say like, okay, this guy is can't miss. This is a guy we need to get. I think the one prospect that could potentially be there at number four, unless the Jags decide, I know you're, I don't want to, I don't you want you to give away your mock draft. I know it's coming up. I think it's next week, but can you just talk a little bit about Evan Neal and, and what, what he represents, what kind of a prospect is he, where he would rank in, in past couple of years? I mean, just, just go into detail on him a little bit. Yeah, and I, like Evan Deal's a good player, but if he were in last year's draft, I don't think he goes in the top 12 picks. Okay. Um, and I think that's something that I think all, uh, you know, for a lot of NFL fans that are just now getting into the draft, uh, maybe not as familiar with this class and the players, this is just not a great year to have a top eight pick. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I know, I'm throwing down. <laughs> I, I'm throwing a wet, wet blanket on this. I know, but like it, it's usually in most drafts we have four, five, six, you know, elite prospects or the top tier guys, and then we've got a really good middle class. Uh, you know, like Vera Tucker, he was a really good middle class first round pick. You know, and not a guaranteed Pro Bowler, but should be a long term starter. Maybe he makes a few Pro Bowls. Uh, this year, we're just missing those elite guys. We don't have them this year. Uh, you know, if, if Aiden Hutchinson was in last year's draft, he doesn't go in the top 10, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, same type of deal. Uh, you know, and, and it's a moot point cause we'll never really know. Uh, but you know, it, it just, it just how this draft class is. And part of it is we don't have the quarterbacks. Uh, but I do think that offensive line, there's three offensive tackles at the top with Evan Neal, Charles Cross from Mississippi state. And then, uh, it can Ikuanu from NC state. Uh, both of the, all three of those guys in this draft, I think are in consideration or should be in consideration uh, in the top five. So for the Jets picking at number four, all three of those players should be in play. And with Neil, he's probably the more well-known of the three, uh, three-year starter for Alabama. He showed up from IMG Academy, started right away. And it is interesting as a freshman who started at left guard, as a sophomore moves out to right tackle. And then this past year uh, for, for Alabama moves over to left tackle. So 40 starts of the last three years, and he did it at three different positions. So uh, that versatility, there's no projection there. Right? You know, can he play guard? Can he play both tackles? You know it because you can put on the tape and see how we performed at those positions. So that's a, a, a you know something that is in his favor when you make that projection. But he is a massive guy, uh, 6'7", 360, uh, a guy that was, you know, around 390 in high school. And so, you know, he kept his weight in check at uh, at Alabama. And, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily something you have to worry about him, you know, ballooning up to uh, a weight that he shouldn't be at. But it's still something, you know, talking about Becton and, uh, you know, his size. And it's just another guy that's he's a big guy. But he's a really smooth blocker, uh, you know, quick feet for a guy that size. Uh, doesn't maybe have, uh, you know, there, there are times where he leans excessively where he doesn't need to, needs to clean that up. But his size, his athleticism, his flexibility, really rare for uh, to have that all that total package 
with him. So, uh, but I tell you, it's not a consensus that Evan Neal's the top offensive tackle in this yeah. class. Some NFL scouts really like Iquanu from NC State. Some like Charles Cross. So uh, Evan Neal should at least be in that conversation. But uh, you know, he he could definitely be uh, on the board when the Jets are picking a four. I think if the one not- thing that. Go ahead, Connor. The, the one other area, and, and you kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier on uh, when you were discussing the Jets and, and Zach Wilson, was that you know none of the receivers really stepped up. And it, and it was a shame in that you know Corey Davis suffered the season-ending injury. Elijah Moore really started to get going. I mean, he started showing all of the things that we saw in OTA's minicamp training camp to lead uh, me to believe that this was a guy that could potentially compete for, for Rookie of the Year honors. Now, granted, I did not see Chase doing what, what Chase ended up doing, but – um, this was a guy that looked dominant and then he suffers a base, what ended up being a season ending injury. So I, I think the one thing when you assess the jets receiving core and you look at it as a whole is the one thing that they they've got some good players there. It's definitely in significantly better shape than what it had been in previous years when you had, you know, Jermaine curse and Deontay Burnett and guys like that playing meaningful reps, but they do lack a true number one. Now, when I survey this, and I, and I know the Jets want to go out there and get a number one, that, that's a that's a major priority for this offseason. I tend to lean towards, all right, that's going to come be a trade because I don't think any number one receiver is going to get there in free agency. And you're now, you are, I, I said this before, man, you are, you are my draft guy that I go to. I hear scouts, I hear GMs, I hear all them talk. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually going to run this one by Dane first. So from what I've picked up there, and you kind of touched upon it even a little bit there in your Evan Neal answer, there's not necessarily a, bona fide no doubt number one receiver in this year's class and that probably took even a little bit of a beating there with Williams tearing his ACL in the national championship game so can you just talk a little bit about the receiver prospects and is there anyone there that you would believe is worthy of of number four number 10 pick is there anyone in that grouping I know there's a couple kids from Ohio State um, that that really in your opinion could be like okay yeah that's that's a number one no doubt x receiver I mean I'm not even talking about Chase I think Chase is in a tier above and, and beyond, but is there anyone there that you look at and, and think that, you know, he, he could potentially be a number one receiver. Yeah. Anybody expecting chase or Kyle Pitts, uh, Yeah. They'll be disappointed with this group, but it's still a, a pretty talented wide receiver uh, class at the top. And there are six receivers that uh, are in the top 25 mix. And I don't, I don't know that you're going to talk yourself into any of these guys in the top five with that, that number four pick. But at pick number 10, you could be in position to take the first receiver off the board. And if you like one of these guys enough, uh, then it would make some sense. And for me, the clear guy at number one is Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Uh, Not the biggest guy. Uh, You know, he's six foot, right around 190 pounds. So if you're looking for more size, he doesn't have that. But he has elite body control. And I I don't use elite. I don't throw it around just, uh, you know, like uh, any other word. I, I, I save it for when it really matters. And with Garrett Wilson, he has that elite body control, the ball skills. He can make those fluid midair adjustments. Uh, you know, he, again, not size, power, doesn't really stand out, but he makes the playbook come alive because of his ability to create before and after the catch and then his ability at the catch point. Uh, for a guy that's not very big, he, he plays bigger than he looks at the catch point because of his uh, leaping skills, because of his ball skills. So Garrett Wilson, for me, is the top guy this year. Um, and then after that, there are a couple big receivers that are really intriguing with Drake London out of USC or Traylon Burks out of Arkansas, two big athletes uh, who can move but are, are really have the size that you want for those matchups. Uh, Jamison Williams, who you mentioned, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be really tough to peg now because of the ACL. Uh, you know, we won't know until the combine just – 
how the knee's looking. Was it a simple procedure? Any complications? So it's kind of TBD with Jamison Williams. Uh, but then two other guys I want to mention, Chris Olave from Ohio State and Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Those are the six receivers that I think should go in first round, will go in the first round. And the Jets picking number 10 could have their choice of, of any of those six if they see any one of these guys as being a clear-cut, okay, this is a guy that's going to help us, help this offense move forward and you know be an upgrade over what we currently have. And, I mean, let me let me ask you, uh, when you look at this wide receiver class, or this, the wide receivers currently on the Jets' just roster, uh, what, what's the what's the long-term for uh, the Baylor kid from the second round? Oh, he's not going to uh, be here. You know, they, no, he, they're going to okay. trade him. Yeah, he'll be gone. Yeah, yeah he's that's that's done. That ship has sailed, Dave. <laughs> I know, like, trust yeah. me, you've got much, much better things to do than watch the Jets on a week-to-week basis. That dude is right. gone. Like, he is. He, okay. That guy finished his final four games not catching a single pass. I think he caught, like, nine or ten all year, and, and it's more drama and just – I mean, it's – it's just oil and oil and water right now between him and and Mike LaFleur. And, and it's a, it's a shame. Like you said, I mean, he was, I know like talking to you and, and even like when Rex Hogan was talking about him after the draft, it was like, you know, he's a great, you know, 50, 50 guy, linear route, speed, athletic freak, like go up there and get ball. Yeah. And, and that fit in Adam Gase's offense with LaFleur. I mean, he wants, he wants route runners. He wants yak guys. And, and unfortunately Denzel just doesn't fit in there fell behind in camp and, and they're going to, that he he could be one of those guys where I could see the Jets look to package a pick and Denzel mm-hmm. and get somebody else that they know is going to contribute and, and make a difference right away. But that that guy, like that, that's why I said when I brought up some of the receivers in on this team and some of the receivers that might make a difference, he, that guy's he's not even in the mix. He's going to be gone. Well, and you know, hearing you talk about Lafleur and what he would want for that offense, Garrett Wilson, I think fits that to a T with what he offers. Uh, I mean, he he was a Division One basketball recruit coming out of high school. I mean, basketball was really his first love. And then, you know, he didn't grow in high school. And so he's like, all right, football is where I'm, what I'm going to do. And you can see that basketball athleticism on the football field with his route athleticism, uh, the way he can snatch the ball outside of his frame. Uh, I, I mean, the the instincts that he has, it, really, really impressive. So Garrett Wilson, if he's still on the board at number 10, he should at least be part of that conversation. So if that makes sense for 10, back to four, and there's obviously a good chance Neil maybe goes three. One of the Jets don't love one of those offensive linemen in general. They like what they have. The other position that keeps coming up for this team as far as need is that number one corner, that shutdown corner guy. And there's some of those guys available in this draft. Um, Daryl Stingley seems like the the guy that most people say could go in that top five, that possible four spot. In your mind, Dane, from what you've seen, is he the top corner or some of the other guys right there with him that the Jets will kind of have a choice if they decide to go that route at four? Yeah, Derek Stingley. Daryl was his, Derek, uh, his, was his a, grandfather. Yes. Uh, yep. who had a you know former first round pick who unfortunately uh you know had, had that uh devastating injury in the preseason back in the 70s uh yep. but Derek Stingley you know he's he's really interesting because he had that all-american freshman year one of the best freshman years we've seen from a, a defensive player a corner uh for that national championship LSU team and then last year kind of an up and down year it was a good year it just wasn't at the level we saw for him as a freshman and then this year he missed basically the the entire year, the last nine games with a, uh, you know he had, a, he had a surgery on his foot, and so just we haven't seen anything from him since uh, since September, and so it's just okay, where is he at with his, uh, you know, with the with the injury, with the durability, any concerns there? So the combine will be big for him, the interview process will be really big for him. So 
if we're if you're getting the Derek Stingley that we saw as a freshman back in 2019, the guy that had over 20 passes defended, had six interceptions, uh, you know, led the SEC in both those categories. Uh, it was a big part of you know, what they were doing on defense that year. If you're getting that Derek Stingley, absolutely, he's worth that number four pick. It's just you have to figure out, okay, is that the same guy? Uh, and is there any injury concerns here, long-term durability issues? Uh, so the combine is going to be big for Derek Stingley and trying to just peg down, all right, is he a guy that's worthy of that number four pick, or should we look in a more safe direction? The other uh, defensive back, and, and I don't know if I, – I knowing Joe, I, I tend to – what I, I I find it hard going this route, but but Kyle Hamilton, I, I know he's not he's not Jamal. You know, he's he Jamal was I think a lot of people had concerns about Jamal's coverage when when he was coming out of LSU. Kyle can do it all. And and the Jets need speed. They need range at that safety position. I think they're definitely going to sign someone in free agency, but maybe pairing him with a rookie isn't the best idea or isn't the worst idea, I should say. Is Hamilton that good of a prospect where if he's there at four? If he's potentially, I don't think he'll be there at 10, but if he's there at 10, it's almost like he's so good you can't pass up on him kind of a thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could make the case he's the the most talented player in this class. Um, and you just have, a, have to have a plan for him because he's so versatile with what he can do at safety. But to take advantage of everything that he can do, you have to have a plan. Is he going to be a guy that – because he could play single high. He could walk down in the box. He could be a hybrid linebacker. Uh, you know, he can cover in the slot. So all these things that he can do is to his advantage and, you know, can be a, be a big asset to your defense, but you don't draft him unless you have a plan for how you're going to use that type of player. Um, he's just, he's a rare guy. You don't see guys that are 6'4", 215 pounds, uh, have that type of speed, have that type of range. And I think what impressed me more than anything with Kyle Hamilton, yes, he's physically, really physically gifted, He's so smart. Uh, just his football yep. IQ is, is off the charts. His ability to anticipate, uh, his ability to read top down, sort through route combinations. Uh, you know, he understands what the situation is, what he needs to do to stop uh, what the offense is trying to do, uh, and he makes plays all over the field. So, I, you know, I, there could be a lot of teams that look at this and say, "Hey, we're just not going to draft a safety in the top ten picks." Um, and so, if he were to be available at ten, I, I think it's a different conversation with with the Jets and. Uh, you know, their their needs or their perceived needs at safety, what it could be and what a guy like this could offer. Uh, because, yeah, he is different than Jamal Adams. He offers some different things. Uh, Kyle Hamilton led Notre Dame in interceptions uh, twice uh, out of his three years uh, in South Bend. So this is a guy that showed up right away, was a freshman All-American and has been an impact guy um, the last three years. But again, this is another guy coming off an injury. So the combine will be important for him as well. Dane, one uh, position that seems really thin in this draft, and unfortunately it's a position the Jets are kind of desperate for, is tight end. Um, when you look further down, not in the first round, but maybe you know they have the 35th pick, the 38th pick, is there a tight end at that in that kind of range that the, the Jets could target, or is this just a, a draft where they should avoid tight end and try to find that piece somewhere else? No, I think this is a really good year to go after tight end. It's and okay. it, we might not have a first first round tight Just end. Just not, but not high, right? Right. 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 It, there's no Kyle Pitts, and um, I don't think there's a tight end that you know maybe we have a guy sneak in there, but I think it's all, I, I think it's more likely we do not have a tight end in the first 32 picks. But once you get second, third, fourth round, that's where the depth really starts to show at the position. It's a deep group. Trey McBride from Colorado State uh, is an interesting player you could look at in the second round. 
Um, you know, he's really productive. He had 90 catches this year for Colorado State. Uh, he was an All-American. Uh, you, you like the way he can adjust to the ball uh, in the air. You like his competitive toughness as a blocker. Uh, he's not a guy that's, you know, uh, has the most deception as a route runner. But, uh, you know, he has, you know, not very dynamic, but he's competitive. He catches uh, he catches everything. I, I think he had 90 catches this year, three drops. So not a guy that you have to, you know, a guy that you can rely on, be that quarterback's best friend. Early second round, a guy like that would make sense. If they wait till the third round, fourth round, uh, they have, what, multiple picks in, what, four of the first five rounds, I think? Yeah. So a tight end, you could definitely see second, third, fourth round being one of those targets. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert from uh, Ohio State, he's a Long Island kid. Um, you know, he, He's a player that's going to be a better pro than he was college player. Just wasn't featured as a receiver a ton in that Ryan Day offense for the Buckeyes. But traits-wise, he's got it all to be a productive pro. So this is a, a tight end group that, again, not flashy at the top, no Kyle Pitts, but meat and potatoes, depth, it, it's there in the second, third, fourth round. Last one for me, man, is that obviously the, the Jets were a, a Trevor Lawrence incompletion away from being in a position to draft either Thibodeau or Hutchinson. I mean, they were going to have the, the number one or number two pick in this year's draft. Um, that obviously now, that, that, sh that ship has in all likelihood sailed. I, I think there's probably a pretty good chance those guys are going one and two. If not, they're going to go some variation of one, two, and three. I know I would be personally surprised if one of them slid to four. What's the next pass rusher? You know, who's that? I feel like every year with the Jets, we're talking about the next best option. Who is that next best option for the Jets? You know, who is that next guy that they could potentially target? And is there another guy that, that has the potential to be a 10-sack a, a guy in the NFL? You know, because I know the Jets want to pair someone with Lawson. Yeah, I think that you have to look at Aiden Hutchinson's teammate in Michigan, uh, David Ajabo, who is still young. I mean, he started playing football five years ago, um, and there's still a lot he does not know. And so there's a projection there. But he had 11 sacks this year with not knowing a ton. Uh, his ability at 6'5", 255 pounds, the twitch, the, the get-off is outstanding. The speed uh, off the edge is tremendous. I mean, he was a former teammate of uh, Jason Owe, uh, back at back in high school, and you know it's kind of a similar conversation with these freaky freaky traits. Big difference. Ojabo was actually productive in college, where uh, Owe wasn't. Uh, he had 11 sacks this past year. Uh, Would have been. It was second in the Big Ten, second only to uh, Aiden Hutchinson. So uh, Ojabo is a guy that I don't know that you're taking him at number four, but at number ten would be awfully interesting. Um, and then the other defensive lineman that I think is really. Uh, a guy that could be an impact guy in this draft is Trevon Walker from Georgia, who is a uh, you know 275, but he moves like he's 225. Uh, they'll drop him in space. He'll move like a linebacker. Um, he has the ability to to win with power with his length, but he also has the the quickness and the speed to to chase down plays, be a pass rusher. So Trevon Walker, a guy that doesn't get nearly enough attention on that Georgia defense. Uh, but he is, in my opinion, an absolute top ten pick in this draft. Real quick follow up for me, just is th that kid from Purdue? What, what was he? Is he yeah. just more of like a, a maybe not necessarily a, a, a ten sack guy? Is he just more like a really good defensive lineman, or what? What do you think about the kid from Purdue? Because I know he's he's on the mind of a lot of kid of a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, he's a good player. Uh, George Karloftis, who uh, a, a, a true junior coming out, um, you know he. He had a, a solid uh, career, 14 and a half sacks over his career. So not necessarily the sack total you want to see, but if you want a guy that's going to give you relentless effort, has very skilled hands to be disruptive, 
that's what he brings. And so uh, his hands are not only powerful, but they're strategic. Uh, you know, like I said, they're always on time. And so there's a lot to like about him. He's not the longest player. Uh, and I think there are some things about, uh, you know, he's just not, the, he's not overly twitchy. And I think that's what's going to hurt him. I know some teams have a second round grade on him. Others see him more in that mid to late first round. So I, I think 10 might be a little early for Carl Loftus. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for a pass rusher and maybe some of these other guys uh, are not available, uh, maybe you, you reach a little bit. But I think it's more likely we see Carl Loftus probably outside the top 10 to 12 picks. One last question for you, Dane. Uh, one of the benefits of being at the bottom of the standings is the opportunity to sometimes coach the senior bowl. And, and that's yep. what Robert Sala and company will be doing uh, this year. What are the advantages to being the coaching staff of that game? What extra things can you coaches get out of it? Can a team get out of it heading into draft season? Oh, it's a tremendous advantage uh, to get your hands on these guys early uh, and, and, you know, see how they take coaching, uh, you know, to see how they, and it's not just what's on the field during practice, but behind closed doors, how do they carry themselves? Uh, you're basically getting a head start on, on these players and finding out just who they are as people, how how are they as learners, and how are they as football players. And so uh, I, I think every year we see it where the teams that coach in the Senior Bowl tend to lean towards uh, some of the guys they, that they coach in the Senior Bowl uh, because they just have a better idea of who they are. And it, it's just a really, really big advantage for this staff. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I know they'll take advantage of throughout the week see, okay, who's getting better? Who's taking what we're coaching them? And from Tuesday to Friday, they took what we coached and they we saw it on the field. You know, they, they made those improvements. To have that opportunity is, is pretty big for this staff. So and it, for a, a team with a lot of draft picks, uh, that, that's something that could potentially we see, uh, you know, play out on draft weekend. Great stuff, Dane, as always. And I know people that that love your work and love Prospect to Pros, your podcast, that is actually coming back, but not in its former location. You're going to be on the Athletic Football Show feed. That's coming up starting next week. So everybody that loves Dane's content, loves his podcasting along with his writing, tune into the Athletic Football Show next week. Um, you excited to be back talking a little more? Yeah, with, uh, you know, Lance and I have been kind of brainstorming on, you know, the first show next week, and you know, we're really excited. Uh, this is, you know, the time where everyone's starting to dive in with uh, all-star games coming up and then the combine, and a lot, of, a lot of NFL fans are just diving into this class. And so, yeah, we've got a lot to touch on. Uh, I've got a mock draft coming out uh, pretty soon, mock draft, my second mock draft. So a lot of changes, uh, you know, surprises at the top maybe. So we've got a plenty to talk about here in the next few weeks. All right, check that out next week on the Athletic Football Show feed. Dane, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more Jets content. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As always, great stuff from Dane Brugler. Definitely check him out on the Athletic Football Show feed. Um, the, the one sobering thing that he had to say, Connor, I thought towards the beginning there was just that at the top, this isn't a very good draft. There just isn't the elite talent that there was in last year's draft. And sure, the Jets have two picks in the top 10, which makes you wonder because of that. Normally, Joe Douglas is going to you know, keep those picks, take as many players as possible. But with the needs this team has and with what Dane said about the top of this draft, does it make sense to target a receiver who's out there available for a trade like Ridley, and maybe trade some of this draft capital. Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, I've – the Jets receiver position is in such a better spot than it has been in so many years past. You know, I mean, I I remember aside from the 2015 and beginning of 2016 seasons where the Jets had Brandon Marshall and they had Eric Decker and they had a healthy Quincy Anunwa – there really hasn't been a receiver spot that has looked or at least had the pieces that are this good in a very long time, you know, where the Jets have a, a true playmaker in Elijah Moore. They have a true, really, really good number two, probably a better number two than even Decker was in Corey Davis. Then they have depth behind those guys in, in Braxton Berrios if they're able to resign him. Jamison Crowder, who was there the last couple of years, but is probably gone next. Keelan Cole, who I know he's you know, earns the wrath of some Jet fans because of what he's not. But what he is, is is an above average, really good third or fourth option. You know, the the Jets were never really going to look at him as as a second option. They didn't want him to be a second option, but he was kind of forced into that role because of injuries. But still, he's a really good depth piece, and I think he'd be a depth piece if the Jets were able to bring him and Barrios back. The one thing that this group does not have, and the one thing that this group needs to go out there and find, is a true number one X receiver. And and if they're able to go out there and get that guy, I mean, I I genuinely believe that the price you pay is almost priceless because this player, if they're able to get him, would have wholesale impacts top to bottom across the off- across the offense really as a whole. I mean, it's not just about what he could do or would do for Zach Wilson, right? Because he's going to make a major difference for Zach Wilson. You give you're giving Zach Wilson the number one receiver, but he's gonna make Elijah Moore and Corey Davis a lot better too, because how do you double or slide coverage in their direction? If you have a number one receiver on this offense, you know, he's going to make Mike Carter's job a lot easier because how do you stack the box to stop the run? If you have Corey Davis, Elijah Moore and a true number one receiver split out wide, you know, he's going to make the offensive lines job easier because the odds of one of the three of true number one X receiver Corey Davis and Elijah Moore not getting open very quickly, at least one of those guys not getting open very quickly and beating their man coverage or beating their first read is going to lead to the offensive line not having to block as long, which is going to get the ball out of Zach Wilson's hand quicker, and it's going to make hit the offensive line's job easier too. So the key for me and, and the question for me is not that number one receiver is, is atop the Jets' offseason wish list or not that the number one receiver isn't atop the Jets' biggest needs right now. It's how are they going to go out there and get that player? You know, I, I know Allen Robinson's probably going to be out there in free agency. And and I know that, that play, you know, a lot of fans are talking about him like, oh, go sign him. Go sign Mike Williams. It's very, very Mike Williams from the Chargers. It's, it's very, very rare for a number one receiver to hit free agency. 
It's just it's it's a, it's an uncommon thing. I mean, and and those guys that do slip through the cracks, there are reasons that they hit free agency. There's reasons that their teams elected not to resign them. And and I think the perfect example is is you know it's it's recency bias, but it's also the one that you can immediately turn to is Kenny Galladay with the Giants. You know the the Lions are not a very talented football team. The Lions are not a very good football team. The Lions don't have players to spare. They looked at Kenny Galladay, despite the statistics that he put up throughout his tenure there in Detroit, and basically said, yeah, we're good. We don't need him. The Giants give him that ridiculous contract. The Giants give him all that money. And instead, what they get is not a number one receiver. They don't get the player that he was in Detroit. They get a player that got paid all of that money suddenly started getting soft tissue issues, suddenly started pulling up on routes and finished this 17 game season without a single touchdown grab. So you really, it, it is, it is very, very rare that you get a true number one out there in free agency. The two ways that you go out there and acquire them are via trade. Like when the like when the, the Buffalo bills traded for Stefan Diggs, or you draft one and you develop them. Like you've seen, the Cincinnati Bengals now do with chase. Like you saw the Falcons do with Julio Jones. Like you see any number of these receivers that have blossomed Mike Evans with the Buccaneers that have blossomed after their teams drafted them. Ideally at number four, 10, the jets do that. They go out there and they draft uh, Garrett Wilson. Like, like we were just talking to Dana about and you plug him in and you play him. But the one downside to drafting receivers is that I, and I know this from, from, you know, talking to many people that know much, much more about this than me is that the, Odell Beckham Jr., the Mike Evans, the the Jamar Chase instant gratification, the immediate breakout years from those rookie receivers, they're few and far between. Receiver is one of those positions that historically takes a little bit longer to develop. It takes them a little bit longer to get acclimated to life in the NFL. So you don't really get to experience the benefits of having a number one receiver right off the bat because you're spending a couple years now developing them. Long term, probably a good, a good, a good play. When you have a rookie quarterback right now, and you're trying to make that rookie quarterback's life better right now, and you're trying to improve the play of your other receivers right now, and make this offense good right now, in my opinion, the best thing that the Jets can do is go out there and trade for a receiver. It's the best thing that they can do this off season. They monitor this market. I don't think it's necessarily going to be Mike Thomas, but they go out there and they try to make a trade. For their Stefan Diggs. You saw how much of an impact he made once he was inserted into that Bills offensive offense. Go and get your Stefan Diggs. And in my opinion, the best option out there, assuming the off-field mental aspect of it receives a clearance from Robert Sala's staff and Joe Douglas's staff, is Calvin Ridley with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, I, I know that there's probably some, there, there's a reason why things haven't worked there. And, and sometimes look, it's, it's, it's oil and water with some coaches and players and it just doesn't work. And you go on to check all those boxes. But as far as if you get Calvin Ridley and he's okay mentally and he's okay physically, and he's ready to come to New York and dominate, you're getting a proven, no doubt, number one receiver in the prime of his career, still younger than 26, 27 years old, who is already developed, who is already a proven commodity. And could you just imagine, again, what this Jets offense would look like if you put Calvin Ridley into it? You have a three-wide receiver set of Ridley, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. 
That's who Zach Wilson's working with. Again, it makes Wilson better. It makes Davis better. It makes more better. It makes the offensive line better. It makes Mike Carter better. I mean, it just completely changes the landscape of this Jets offense where you take them from a better receiving core than they've had in recent years to you can make the argument that that receiving core with those three guys of Moore, Davis, and Ridley is one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. And the Jets aren't going to be done tinkering with it. I could still see them try to bring back Barrios, and I could still see them try to bring back Cole and potentially add someone in the fourth or fifth round to another receiver to create the stable, try to develop that player, and then they replace Corey Davis when the Jets move on from him in a year or so. But adding Ridley changes everything. It would have, like, when... When I assess a potential trade, right, and I try to look at it through Joe Douglas's eyes because at the end of the day, he does not want to trade his draft picks. They're his babies. He doesn't want to give up them. He doesn't want to give them up. When I assess draft picks, they need to have unilateral impact on a team. It can't just impact one position. It can't be like, okay, I went and I got a running back because that's going to make our run game better. No, it needs to have an impact on multiple positions. Going and trading for a number one receiver, a proven number one receiver, impacts so many different positions that I think it warrants the assets that they have to give up. Now, what would the Falcons take? Would it take a one and a four? Would it take that number 10 pick and a fourth rounder? Would it take a one, a four and something next year? Would it have to be a direct result of something, a a direct result of the, the package that the Bills piece together? I don't think so because the Jets picks are going to be much better draft picks than the Bills. But if Ridley is out there and there is a real legitimate option to go get Ridley and you clear all of the background hurdles and you're not worried about him mentally, you're not worried about him physically. You're not worried about him in the locker room. You know you're getting a a, a guy that other coaches swear by, a guy that with the, with the right coaching is just going to pick up where he left off when he was a 1,300, 1,400-yard receiver in Atlanta. You go and get that guy because it would make such a massive difference to this team. A lot of ifs with him, though, so we'll have to see. They'll do their d- d- due diligence, I'm sure, and we'll see how that all plays out. The other guy at the top of the draft that we talked about with Dane was Evan Neal, the lineman, uh, the the big tackle um, out of Alabama. Obviously, a lot of what the Jets do as far as that line, they have to figure out what's going on with Makai Becton, right? And they have some time here. I guess they'll they'll know a little better by the time it's time to draft than they do now of where he is as far as health goes. But man, it's he's such a big question mark in all of these plans. Yeah, he is. And I'm tweeting about it right now to try to let people know that this is. Sorry, I, I expected transition Timmy to go yeah. for like another 10 seconds. I didn't expect that. Yeah, uh, that immediate yeah. toss there. Um, Here's the thing with Makai. We knew when we talked about this, like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've written about it. I don't know how many times we've talked about it. There were durability concerns with him coming out of Louisville. And it wasn't because he got hurt in Louisville. And we talked about this with Dane. It wasn't because he got banged up in Louisville. It wasn't because he was a problem. It was that when you are a human that is that big, when you are someone who struggled with weight, which he did in Louisville, as you get older, as you age, your body starts to break down. The human being is not supposed to be that big. And when you are that big, you tend to have more ailments, more physical ailments than somebody else unless you keep it in check. Makai as a rookie didn't keep it in check. Makai in year two did not keep it in check. And the result over the last two years has been a player who missed a month worth months worth of snaps as a rookie and then all but one game and he didn't even play the full game in year two. That's not even taking into consideration the fact that Makai Becton was not looking very good before he went down. This was a guy who was getting beat up three to four times a day for sacks. I have never seen that before. 
no left tackle I have ever covered did that. Not Ryan Clady when he was here, not Kelvin Beecham when he was here, not Breno Giacomini on the other side. No offensive lineman I have ever seen was beat as much as Makai Becton was beat in training camp last year. And that assessment that you got from Mike LaFleur in Green Bay about he's not playing his best ball and he knows it, that's about as honest as you will ever have a coach speak about a player. And Makai Becton had a chance to, to silence all of those criticisms and show that the quote-unquote iron sharpens iron and all that stuff during training camp, uh, that it was all irrelevant and it all made him better in the regular season. And instead, the durability concerns that we were all worried about before reared their ugly head. He goes down and with a two-month injury, takes four months to recover from. And even longer than that, because again, we didn't even see him on the practice field. This isn't like Makai was back at practice and he just wasn't ready to go. He wasn't even taking part in individual or team drills by the end of the season. That's a major concern. So now the Jets head into year three, trying to protect their young quarterback with a massive question mark, no pun intended, on the left side of their offensive line. Because they don't know, one, can Makai Becton stay healthy? Or two, if Makai Becton does stay healthy, can he perform? Those are two giant concerns at arguably the most important position on the offensive line. So this offseason, Robert Sala wasn't joking a couple months ago when he said the, the, uh, the, the, the concept of trading, or not trading, he won't be traded, but the concept of moving Mekhi Becton to the right side was on the table. Everything is on the table right now. Everything. If, the, if a bona fide, no doubt player that the Jets believe is a, is a, a dynamite left tackle is available via the draft, they're not not going to draft him because they drafted Makai Becton two years ago. They're going to draft that player. They're going to start him at left tackle, and they're going to move Makai to the right side and have him compete with George Fan. That's what the Jets are going to do, because, and that's what the Jets should do. Because you cannot build a team on hope. You can't build a, te a team on what you believe. You need to build a team on what you know. The Jets know they got a really good number two in Corey Davis. They know they've got a really good player in, in, in Elijah Moore. They know they have different. They know they've got a good one in, in Elijah Vera Tucker. They don't know what they have in Makai Becton. And Robert Sala likes to speak over and over and over again about year three, right? Like how important year three is for a player, how important year three is for a player. This is a make or break year for Makai Becton. If he doesn't do it this year, if he gets hurt again and banged up again or he stays healthy but doesn't perform, the Jets are just going to be moving on from him next year. Like they'll be done. Like this is a make or break year for Makai Becton. Absolutely. And the way that the Jets are going to approach this offseason, is under the is under the 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 notion that they don't know what they have in their left tackle. So if there is a left tackle option there at four, if there is a left tackle option there at ten that the Jets believe is a no doubt stud, they're going to take him, and Makai is going to be competing for a job on the right side. He's got to earn it. He wasn't drafted by Robert Sala. He wasn't drafted by Mike Lafleur. He wasn't drafted for this scheme. He needs to earn his playing time. And he didn't do that as a rookie. He didn't do that as a year two. He hasn't given you any reason to say this guy is a no-doubt Pro Bowl player. A couple pancakes against defensive backs and safeties, that doesn't show you that you are a Pro Bowl player. That earns nice Twitter reviews from Brian Baldinger. It doesn't win football games because, fact, Makai Becton let up eight sacks as a rookie. That's a lot. He let up eight sacks missing a month's worth of games. That's a lot. So you need to see this year that Makai Becton is a stud. He needs to come into camp in shape, which he hasn't done his first two years. He needs to take full advantage of a full OTAs and a full mini camp and a full training camp. And then he needs to see the field and dominate and show that he can be an all-pro Pro Bowl left tackle. He needs to want it. He needs to earn it. And he needs to do it. And he hasn't done that yet. So if there is an option for the Jets to go out there and improve the left tackle position, they're going to take it. They're not just handing anything to Makai Becton anymore. He's got to earn it. And to this point, 
you don't know if he can. You don't know if he's going to stay healthy. You don't know if he can perform. So the Jets are operating this offseason under the perception that they don't know. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that position plays out. Yeah, Robert Salah didn't draft him. Mike LaFord didn't draft him. But Joe Douglas did in that 2020 draft, man. Not, yeah, but, not yeah, looking great. Guy Becton. Like dog poo. I'll yeah. tell you that. And even Joe <laughs> Douglas admitted to it when he came out and said that, like, yeah, they're not. If this was a race, they're not at the checkpoint that we expected or something like that. I was like, man, I don't think they left yeah. the finish line. You got nothing. You got, like, a solid number two corner, and that's it. Not even the punter looks good anymore. Like, that is a dismal yeah. thing. And gonna, I mean, like I said to Dane, Denzel's not going to be on this team next year. They're either going to cut right. him or they're going to package him with a pick to go get someone else. Like maybe they package Denzel a one and a four and give him to Atlanta to try to get a number one receiver. Like, I don't know, but that like he's gone. That dude is not going to be part of this team. I mean, it's just when you think about the number of issues the Jets had a receiver and the fact that Makai, uh, I'm sorry, Denzel couldn't even catch a pass the final four games. He was targeted like twice and you watch those reviews. He's not even open. I mean, it's just, it's lackluster effort. It's, questionable talent. It's just not fit in this scheme. It's everything that we said back in OTAs that we were eviscerated for has come to fruition. The guy didn't catch a pass over the final four games of the season. The guy hasn't scored a touchdown in two years, despite the Jets having receiver issues both year. The guy hasn't done anything. Like you, like Stephen Hill looks like Calvin freaking Johnson to this guy. That's a fact. At least Stephen Hill got in the end zone. It's, it's wild, man. It's wild. But yeah, he'll be gone. 100% he'll be gone. You mentioned the the cornerback hall and maybe the one piece that they end up having out of that draft long term. Uh, but speaking of cornerback, we talked about Stingley with Dane a little bit. Um, there are question marks there. Um, just not necessarily question marks, but just that he he wasn't as good as a sophomore junior as he was after, in his amazing freshman year uh, at LSU when they won the national title. So if they don't end up going draft high on a quarterback, cornerback, where else can they fill that hole? So I'm I'm very much in the belief that I'm very much in and I know a lot of people are gonna mock it and every mock that comes out with the Jets having two top ten picks, basically every single one of them is gonna put Stingley to the Jets because they see this team needs a corner, he's the top corner, and they're gonna put him there. Look, the, the Jets' biggest issues at on defense were injuries. That's a fact. Like, this Jets defense, I genuinely believe, like, they're not perfect, but this is a different defense if Marcus May and LaMarcus Joyner stay healthy. This is a different defense if Carl Lawson is out there. This is a different defense if Bryce Huff plays 17 games, not seven. You know what I mean? Like, this is a a very, very different team. And it's why the first, even without Lawson and without Joyner, the first three or four games of the season, we were talking about, wow, the Jets defense actually looks pretty decent they look pretty competent and then the injuries kept hitting injuries kept hitting they were they were dismantled and broken down to the point where Bryce Hall is the only player who started every game this season for the Jets every single other defensive player missed at least some time like that is a problem that's an issue so I just find it very hard to see the Jets drafting a player who has now had some injury issues in both his sophomore and junior years like yeah he would fit a need yeah he's the best corner in the draft but I just durability and availability are like the top two for the Jets right now after the number of injuries that they've that they've endured the last few years. I don't see how that's the case. Durability and availability. And then you go and draft a player who has legitimate concerns about his availability and durability. So personally, I, I look, I know in the perfect world, 
the Jets go out there and they find their Richard Sherman. You know what I mean? Like the, the when when Robert Sala was the defensive coordinator of San Francisco, his defense took on an entirely new view, an entirely new outlook when they added a very good veteran cornerback in Richard Sherman to a very young cornerbacking unit. And you had the guy who could lead, the guy who you knew, the guy who could go get the ball, and then the young kids on the other side, and then a dominant defensive front. That's what the Jets want to add this offseason. I mean, the Jets want Roberts. We'll talk everything we've seen. Robert Sala wants to replicate San Francisco on the East Coast. That's what he wants to do, which is why pass rusher is going to be a, a point of emphasis in free agency in the draft, you know, and, and safeties are going to be a point of emphasis in free agency in the draft. And when it comes to corner, I think ideally they go out there and they get a veteran ball hawking corner to man one cornerbacking side. And then on the other side, you have Isaiah Dunn, Bryce Hall, and Brandon Eccles compete. And you obviously have Mike Carter in the nickel position. That's the that's the perfect situation for the Jets. Now, the the question is, like, who's that player, right? Because we talk about receivers not hitting free agency. It's very, very rare for a true number one corner to hit free agency. That's what made the Richard Sherman situation so rare. That's what made the Richard Sherman situation so unique. That's what made it different. You know what I mean? Was that, holy cow, Richard Sherman's there. He's still a pretty good player. We got at least three, four years left in this guy. Let's get him. You know what I mean? So, in my opinion... I scour the the free agency. I look at names and you start playing that, you know, uh, square peg, square hole, try to find what fits. The two names that I see, and I don't think they're perfect, perfect, but Stefan Gilmore is one if he gets out of, out of uh, Carolina because I think he's a veteran. I think he can play man and zone. I think he's ball hawking. I think he's still got football, good football left in him. You'd sign him. You've got him for two, three years, still playing some pretty good ball. And then you can go and draft someone during that time that you develop to eventually take over as your number one corner. I think he's a name. And then the apple of everyone's eye is going to be J.C. Jackson, New England. Now, that guy, you want ball hawking. You want someone who just finds balls. That's him. That guy intercepts passes like no one I've ever seen before. I mean, what is it? like? It's like he got another six or seven this year. He's got like 22 in his last three years. I mean, he is an absurd ball hawking corner. The problem I have with him is that what kind of player is he going to be once he gets paid? Because I know like the coach, the coaching staff in New England rides him pretty hard. Like they are, they are on his ass relentlessly. And that gets the best out of him. That's not really the coaching style here with the Jets. You know, it's not it's not like a a, a beach resort in Florham Park, but Robert Sala is very much the I'm not going to scream, I'm not going to yell. You know, it's not a screaming moment, it's a teaching moment. You know, he's bringing the guy under his arm and he's teaching him. But for a lot of players, that works. For some players, they need the tough love. You know what I mean? And I don't know if if Jackson's a player who once he gets paid, will he still will he get a little complacent? Will he get paid and need? still that tough love to keep him motivated. Will Sala and his staff be able to supply that plethora? I don't know, but a player that I keep looking at and I keep going back to where I'm just like, you know, that makes sense is Gilmore. I, I think he would be a major piece because you get that veteran sounding board, that veteran insurance policy on one side, and then you can have a rotation of the young corners on the other side. You then add two safeties, which the Jets are going to do. I think both, I think I could see rookie veteran pairing, there's definitely going to be a veteran. I could also see the Jets saying, no, we want two veterans because the one way you can mask some corner deficiencies is with dominance at the safety position. And it's very easy to do that with veteran safeties and veteran safeties usually hit free agency. It's not like corner. It's not like receiver. You can find some good tight ends and you can find some good, you can find some good tight ends and you can definitely find some good safeties and free agency. And I think the Jets will look to do that. But if you're able to say sign like a Marcus Williams or able to sign a, a Marcus Williams and then another veteran and you get Gilmore and then you let the young kids fight and you still add some more talent via the draft, I think the defense takes on an entirely new look. 
It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a great offseason. Um, free agency, the draft, we'll be with you through it all, and we'll probably have Dane on again before the draft as well. Um, we're going to do picks before we say goodbye. We're picking them all. It gives us a chance, Connor, to catch Marissa, who has a, a big lead. So we're picking all six games this week. Uh, right now, here's the standings as we all went one and two last week. Marissa's 25 and 20. Connor, 20, 24 and one. I am 19, 25 and one. Uh, this is how we're going to do it this week. We're going to do rapid fire. I'll say the game, then we'll go around the horn for the picks, Perfect. then we'll do the next game, then we'll do the next game. Uh, first game up, Cincinnati, minus five and a half versus Las Vegas. Marissa. Bengals, for sure, minus five and a half. I think that I think that's On the Joe Burrow train. I love Joe Burrow. I love <laughs> that that guy oozes swag. I wish I was as huh? cool as Joe Burrow. Like, I could do, like, the finger guns. Like, I'd be back up here doing, <laughs> oh like, oh, what was he doing? Like the Please never do that again. Yeah. I wish I was oh, as cool no. as Joe you, Burrow. Uh, I was gonna have to clip that. I wish, Did, I wish after I wish after I, I I wish after like I hit a good golf shot. Like I look at my friends and like whatever yeah, that I do have move to... was that he did. Smoking a stogie. I got the stogies in the in the house. I can I can pull that out. That's about as cool as I get with Joe Burrow. But I've rode the ba- I've been riding the Bengals all year. I'm riding them again. I think that line's a little fat. I don't really like that when I don't like four and a half. I don't like three and a half lines, let alone like five and a half we're getting to now. But I can't bet against my 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 guy Joe Burrow. I love that dude. Yeah, I got Cincinnati too. Did you read uh, Paul Denner Jr. at The Athletic has a great feature out this week on Burrow and basically what he's done to just completely change that entire franchise. Uh, really good story. You just if you, talk, just look, if you care about the Bengals. Press You're like, that guy's a freaking <laughs> yeah. culture changer. Like, holy hell. Yep. All right. Uh, Buffalo, Saturday night at home. It's going to be, I think, two degrees. The Patriots coming to town. Minus four, Buffalo. Marissa, who you got? Honestly, like... That is so cold. I can't even imagine. Um, I'm gonna go Buffalo. I think minus four. I think that. I think that. I hope that one's a good game. I hope we get a couple good games. I'm kind of worried about like. I'm kind of worried right now about how you're getting like these high seeds versus the low seeds that it's going to eventually become when, when the one seeded team in the NBA plays the eight seeded team. And it's just like, there's, there's no hope here. Like I'm, I'm worried that this is what yep. the NFL is kind of pivoting towards, but I am very excited. Cause I, I mean, what the, the bills and Patriots split the season series. I know it's going to be cold with Patriots are a cold weather team. The bills are a cold weather team. This is bill Belichick in the playoffs. And I don't know, man, it's, it's getting to the point now with the Buffalo bills where it's like do or die. Like you've had your time to build. You've had your playoff. Josh Allen has playoff experience. This team, this core now has playoff experience. It's time to make the run and it's time to go. And I'm not just saying that because I bet them in the preseason to win the Super Bowl, or maybe I am, but I'm riding with the bills again. So give me them. I'm actually going to go with uh, New England. I don't think they necessarily win this game, but I think the plus four uh, helps them out. I think they cover. Um, it isn't, you mentioned the split Connor and the Patriots went to Buffalo earlier in the season with the windy conditions and they ran it on almost every single play, right? Three pass attempts for Mac Jones. Uh, but then Buffalo got the, in a more normal game, got revenge in new England. So it's certainly going to be interesting. All right, next one. And, and you mentioned the, the potential blowouts, Connor, this one has that written all over it. Kansas city minus 12 and a half. Should never have a playoff game minus 12 and a half against Pittsburgh. The Steelers sneaking into the playoffs. This is probably Ben Roethlisberger's last game. Uh, but does Kansas City win by 12 and a half? No, give me um, 
No, I, I think the Steelers actually play this closer. I think this is going to be closer than what you expect. I think the Chiefs win, no doubt. I think it could be a 10-point game. Uh, but I think the Steelers – I mean, that's a good defense the Steelers have. T.J. Watts, like the quietest 22-and-a-half sack season in NFL history. Uh, Fitzpatrick's a good player. Their secondary is good. Mike Tomlin's a really, really, really good head coach. I think that that's going to be a little bit closer than what a lot of people think. The Chiefs aren't the team they've been in the past. They're a little funky right now. And and I think that – I think they win. I think the Chiefs definitely win. I don't think they cover, though. So I, I think I think the Steelers. I think we all know what Marissa. direction I am going. Chiefs minus 12 and a half. <laughs> so yeah. salty. Chiefs minus 12 and a half. Easy. The Chiefs dominated the Steelers team like two weeks ago. So playoffs are different. Plus I mean, now yeah. you got film second time you're playing them. I don't know. Chiefs minus 12. And well, there we go. We finally got a difference. We're going to have regular season standings and playoff standings. No. Yeah. This, I is, get all cheap. Part of, this is all part of the playoffs same is game. where it really counts. Because I'm winning. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Tim, what is your uh, I get Chiefs. I get Chiefs also. I feel like they kind of found themselves late in the season uh, and yeah. they're going to get rolling here. Uh, all right. To the NFC, Tampa Bay minus eight and a half uh, versus the, the Eagles. I, I know I was starting with you, Marissa, for most of these, but I feel like for the Eagles, we need to go to Connor. Uh, first too. Buck's going to roll them. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> over. And you guys obviously know I don't like the Eagles. Like, you know, I love Bo secretly. I do love Sheila and Zach outright. Like I, I have to hide my love for Bo. I do. I do genuinely love that guy, but I actually love Zach and, and, and Sheila, but I, I, I hate the birds, man. I mean, well, you, you guys know who I, I rooted for when I was a kid. So imagine growing up in the heart of Eagle country in South Jersey as a, as you know, rooting for that team. And, and I mean, you were freaking bullied. Like I was bullied into submission in elementary and middle school to like the point of coming home in tears just because I wore a blue Jersey to school when I was eight. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I, I've totally lost fanhood, like, as far as, like, you know, who you root for as a kid. Like, when you root, when you cover this league, like, you, you lose your fanhood. But I have not lost my hatred for the Philadelphia Eagles. I can tell you that. So, I just – I am so over people fawning over this team. Did you know the Eagles beat one team with a winning record this year? The average record of the teams that they beat is, like, 40 games under 500. Tampa Bay, in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, is going to – I was going to say something very inappropriate, but they are going to have their way with the Eagles on Sunday. I like eight and a half. I like 10 and a half. I like 14 and a half. Uh, Jalen Hurts is a, is a good quarterback <laughs> against bad teams. It's not going to work against good teams. Buccaneers have their way with the Eagles. Marissa. Well, Connor, you know, and I'm going to be, uh, by the way, I'm going to be at a goddamn Eagles watch party on Sunday. So this is like, it keeps getting worse. I married a woman who is born and raised Philadelphia, her entire family's born and raised Philadelphia. And like, I had watched that Super Bowl at an Eagles watch party with as my, as my father-in-law and mother-in-law and, and wife are screaming and yelling and so happy. And I'm sitting there wanting to just jump off a bridge. Quick question. You remember who the Eagles, the quarterback, the Eagles beat in that Super Bowl was? Oh yeah. Here we go. He has Nick Foles on the <laughs> sideline with that energy. No, he's not. No. Okay. So I do think the Buccaneers are going to win, but I am going to take the Eagles to cover. So Eagles plus eight and a half. Only reason Eagles won that game right. too, is because Corey Clement got a bullshit touchdown. That's not a catch. I'm sorry. That is not a catch period. That is not a catch by Corey Clement. It's We're a turnover. It's an incompletion. Now. It's over. That's not a catch. He's he got his foot out of bounds. The ball's not even to his body. It's between his body and his hands. It's not a catch. I'm so over that. Like it's, all these, oh my God, I hear it everywhere. That's a catch. The only okay. one who's admitted to it is my father-in-law. He's a great guy. Love him. My father-in-law the only one who goes, yeah, it wasn't a catch, but they ruled it a catch. I was like, all right, fine. At least you can say that. Everyone else was like, no, look, he had it there. I was like, hey, 
Oh my god, I, I'm done talking about this. This is rapid fire, Connor. Yeah, sorry. Here we go. Yeah, let's really do rapid fire for the rest. I'll take the Bucks as well. Uh, Dallas minus three versus San Francisco. Marissa. I think this should be a really, really fun game. But um, yeah, and I honestly have no idea where to go with this pick. But I'm going to go Cowboys minus three. I'm the opposite. I'm actually going to San Francisco. I think that you're going to that Dallas team has been exposed last. They, they've there's something off with there's something weird with that. Like, I'm sorry, pounding out the 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 Washington football team when they were doing their dealing with their dysfunction. Like I'm, I'm out on that one. So I, I think the Cowboys are going to lose. I just don't trust Mike McCarthy in a big game. I mean, he makes some of those decisions like once or twice a week where you're like, why did he do that? And it, it, you can survive it when you're more talented than your opposition. San Francisco is a very complete team. Their only issues under center. And if Jimmy G can avoid the turnover and avoid the mistakes, that's a very good offensive line, very good weapons, very good run game, and a very, very, very good defense. So I think San Francisco pulls a huge upset. And honestly, I think there is a chance to be like a seven, like a seven point, like six, seven, eight point game victory for San Francisco. I think they win big or not big, but I think they win. They win handedly. I will take Dallas final game. This one's fascinating because for so much of the season, the Cardinals look like they might be the top seed in the NFC. And now in the first round of the playoffs, they're on the road and dogs against the Rams. Minus four, Rams are the favorites. Marissa. Yeah, I think the Cardinals, I mean, we talked about this on the athletic football show yesterday. The Cardinals have just been struggling as of late. Um, But so have the Rams, honestly. I mean, Matt Stafford's made some pretty big mistakes down the stretch. But I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm taking the Rams minus four in this one. The two teams I have bet to win the Super Bowl from preseason are Rams and the Bills. So at least I, I got two of them still alive. And and uh, I, so I'm going to ride with the Rams. I also, there's something weird with Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know if I believe in him yet. Like the way that his teams are losing lately, it doesn't really make sense. I, I don't know if they're figuring out Kyler Murray. I don't know if they're figuring out his offensive scheme. I don't know if he had like that boom factor and now he's just faded. But I like, uh, I like, I like the, um, I like the Rams in this one, and I like them pretty handedly. I'm going to take the Cardinals because if I'm going to get back into this competition, I need to pick opposite. Game so theory, we'll I like the it. Cardinals here. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, it may it may just make the gap wider, but we'll see. All right, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Can't Wait Podcast. If you want to save 33% off a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. We will be back again Next week, oh, and I didn't mention, it's in the, we didn't talk about this. I meant to talk about it at the beginning, but uh, we want to talk about awards for the Eagles, for the, wow. Wow. You're going to have to fix that. <laughs> we have to talk about awards for the Jets, uh, postseason <laughs> awards. Friend. We put together we put together a ballot I mean, so you can vote pants, on who you think out. should win the awards. Uh, the ballot is available in the description on YouTube, the description of the podcast, and I'm going to make Connor tweet it out later as well. So make sure you weigh in. Let us know who your picks are. We'll talk about it on the next episode of the show next week. Thanks for joining us. Everybody.